right. Sorry about that. Took a second to get it going, but it looks like we are live. Hi, everybody. My name is Luke Thomas, and I'm from Showtime. I'm a uh, digital show host and boxing thingamajig for them. And uh, let's see what else. I work for SiriusXM with the Luke Thomas Show. All that information is in the description box below. This is episode 17 of the Luke Thomas Live Chat. Appreciate you all joining me without... Let me pull my production switcher. A little bit closer. Without further ado, let us get this going, shall we? All right, there you have it. Uh, as you can see, the button on the left or the graphics on the bottom of the screen there are flashing. Please give the video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. Obviously, the revenue tools for the Super Chat are open. You are allowed to give one if you want. Please understand that's not what this live chat is about. You are under no obligation um, to donate. I mean, you're never under an obligation to donate, but you're especially not under one today, um, which is a little bit different than my post-fight shows. All right, so let me have a little drink there of this uh, Powerade. I just got done with a week of Super Bowl radio. Um, so I am, I had, a, I was going to say I was exhausted cause I've been up since two 45 this morning. Uh, but I had a five hour energy and it feels like I stayed in a holiday Inn last night. So there you have it. I uh, hope you're doing well. Happy Friday to everybody. Big game is in two days. Um, I know we did one of these on Sunday, which was an irregular time. I know we did one of the, we're doing one of these today at an irregular time. I apologize for that. We're back to normal next week. Now, by the way, I mentioned last week we, you know, we did it on Sunday as opposed to Friday. Numbers turned out pretty great. I was pretty happy with that. But um, the problem is that I have a, I have a, in 2017 or 2018, I bought like a super top of the line MacBook Pro. And uh, I taught myself how to use um, a Final Cut Pro on it. And of course, if you know anything about computers, you realize that even a high end MacBook Pro is not very good for live streaming. And so I'm going to get a razor blade, which is a, a kind of like, it's a gaming computer, but they, they can be really handy for that particular need. But now I have to teach myself how to edit videos in Adobe Premiere and, uh, which is just what I've been, I've kind of, I've been kind of putting it off, but now that I'm traveling a little bit more, I, I, and I, I got this live chat again, I need to have the resources to do that. So that's going to be the next, uh, kind of big purchase. All right. Well, just giving you a heads up on what happened. So I tried to do it and then. I was like, well, I could just pre-record, but then I would have to rush it. It was just a mess. I was like, I'll just do it when I get home. So so there we are. Okay, well, I appreciate everyone's patience. Without further ado, let's get to it, shall we? Um, I put up a live thread. If you're just joining us or you're new to this, I put up a live thread in the community tab on this here YouTube channel every Thursday, right around noontime, and then they fill up. People like them or dislike the questions, and I sort of give the ones at the top priority but not exclusivity. And, of course, if you pay, which you're under no obligation to do, I will get to that later. Yeah? Okay. Very good. All right. First question. Uh, did you see the JRE podcast, the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, with Rafael Lovato? I did. Your name came up, and Joe said he really likes you. Will we see you guys... Excuse me. Will we see you on Joe's show in 2020? Well, first of all, yes, I did see it. And um, the I, I remember setting up that interview with Lovato's people... Uh, after Musasi had accused him of all those things. And uh, I was the only one he went on, which I really appreciated. 
Um, a lot of you probably didn't get access to it, but now you would because the show is available on iTunes. Again, the link is in the description box. Not the totality of it, but we would have for sure put that part on there. So this is like it's like a best of episode every every uh, day. Um, well, first of all, I was just I, I you know let me just express gratitude to Rafael Lovato. Let me express gratitude to Joe Rogan. It's really nice. I've got a difference of opinion from Joe on a lot of different issues about judging and stand ups and things like that, but. Um, you know, I really appreciated the kind words. It was short and it was, you know, it was succinct, but it seemed heartfelt. So I really, really appreciate that. It was very, very kind of him. Um, you know, yeah, I, yes, it was really nice to hear. I put it on my Instagram page cause my wife was like, you should share that around. So I did. Um, will we see you on Joe's show in 2020? I have my doubts to be honest with you. Uh, look, man, Joe doesn't owe me a thing. Even just a nice shout out was really more than he ever needed to do. Uh, and it's possible. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'll never say never, but you know, if you notice like his guest list on the MMA side, he does have some new ones coming up there, but you're starting to see a lot of, not a lot of, but you're beginning to see repeats. You know, he's starting to have the same ones on, um, uh, you know, and to me, that sort of tells me if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. Cause there's nothing stopping me from going on other than. Uh, an invite. So, uh, if it happened, great. If it didn't, you know, um, look, man, this is why, this is why I started this YouTube channel. Uh, I have this weird thing in my life that just keeps repeating. And some of you are probably this way. I make not all the time, but often, like really terrible first impressions with people. And then that's my biggest weakness. My biggest strength turns out to be that over time I begin to win them back. I have no idea if that relates to Joe, but my point is this. Because I often start out, it seems to be my own fault, in a deficit with certain professional or personal relationships, um, while I do seem to have a lot of the skills to dig myself out over time, Notice the key words there, over time. And so in the interim, I just miss out on a lot of opportunities. So um, part of the reason why I started this YouTube channel was because just, you know, my, the phone wasn't ringing in ways that I kind of thought maybe it should or or would have been nice to see or something like that. So I was like, I got to take matters into my own hands. Now, this is certainly, in terms of viewership, it is no substitution for the Joe Rogan experience. Not even close. It's not a pimple on the ass of that. Uh, but nevertheless, it's something, and it's direct. It's I'm in control of it. I'm appreciative of this listenership and this viewership. You know, I'm appreciative of everything. So, um, so word to the wise: it's nice to get invited on big programs. Uh, it's nice to get invited on small programs. It's nice to get anyone who extends an invite is doing you a great, great solid. But you can't wait around for it, man. You can't. And so, while this will never replicate the audience that Joe could provide overnight. Um, it's a lot better than just waiting around for the phone to ring. So, so there we are. That's why I did it. But uh, it would be nice, you know. But uh, I would say yes, prob- probably. But in any capacity, um, the shout out is nice enough, and Joe doesn't owe me a fucking thing. So, um, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see, I guess. But I wouldn't. Just don't hold your breath. Just don't hold your breath. Uh, this is, I'm going to give you a weird answer here and then we'll move on. This does not apply to Joe. Cause I'm being, want to be very clear about this. Joe doesn't owe me anything, but, um, a lot of people ahead of me in the business 
don't like, they, they want to pull the ladder up behind them. Sort of really notice that. Sometimes explicitly on purpose. You know, they don't, there's not a lot of people ahead of me who look back and are like, ooh, let's help this guy out. Uh, in fact, maybe the one guy who's really done that is Brendan Schaub. You guys wonder why I'm so loyal to him. It's not a mistake or an accident. Um, you know, partly I think I'm just blown away by what Brendan's done with his professional life. But more than that, dude, Brendan didn't have to tell Showtime about me. Ever. Like, he could have just been the man over at on the digital side of Showtime. Obviously, he's not really involved with their boxing broadcast, which is what I do a little bit different. But he didn't have to do that. He chose to do that um, because he thought it'd be good for Showtime. I think he thought it'd be good for me. Uh, maybe, maybe in some capacity, he thought it'd be good for him. I don't know. But and I, I don't think I'm any kind of a threat. Like you look at Morning Combat's numbers, we got a long way to go before we're going to be rivaling what Brendan's doing. But Dude, you want to talk about somebody who was clearly ahead of me and clearly put down the ladder for me. Yeah, man, I am loyal to Brendan Schaub. I am super fucking loyal to Brendan Schaub. Because no one else has ever done that shit. Nobody. Nobody. No one who was ahead of me ever looked down. Oh, I'll tell you the other one who did it. Um, was Craig Carton. Now, Craig Carton fucked up royally in his life with this ticket scam thing. And he's in prison and he's paying the consequence for it. Um, at Mayweather Pacquiao, the guy who runs the sports department of Sirius XM, uh, used to be a big, big wig over at WFAN, which is where he did that show with Boomer Esiason for a time. And I know MMA fans hate on Craig Carton because, you know, Craig tried to do the, the morning shock jock thing, which just maybe wasn't the best fit for uh, an MMA show. But, but for, but for sports radio, he did something that was very successful and uh, he went out of his way. I'll never forget this. I, he actually introduced me to Boomer Esiason, which was cool. And then he went up to my boss, this dude who was the big wig of SiriusXM and used to be a big wig over at uh, WFAN, and just like out of nowhere, out of nowhere, just heaped praise on me. Like, I mean, made it sound like, you know, I was the next coming of Jesus. Like, I, you just touch your touch all these kids and I'll cure them of cancer. And I was standing there like, what is it? Was it I, I was waiting for the punchline. You know, I was waiting for him to go, the aristocrats. I didn't know where it was going. Dude, I think I got a full-time offer like a month later because of him, because of Craig Carton, because he didn't pull the ladder. Um, that's not what Joe, Joe's situation is completely separate. I'm just sort of saying what those other experiences have taught me is, you know, ask, ask MMA managers about me. They'll say super nice things. But then when it comes time to, to you know, make something happen with one of their clients, they, gotta, they do a lot of this, these fucking snakes. So, you know, it, I'm, I'm, I'm used to living in a world where um, nobody owes you a fucking thing and people say a lot of nice things, but what does those nice things ultimately mean? Sometimes they mean great things. Again, Joe, Joe I'm, I'm appreci I put it on my Instagram page because I'm so appreciative of what Joe said. You know, I think it really helps. Uh, but you, you cannot, in this life, let me give you a piece of advice, man. People saying nice things and then that leading to something, my experience has been that rarely takes that. It does happen. It does happen. It is very rare. Very, very rare. Most of the time, it doesn't mean a whole lot in terms of actionable consequence. And... In terms of people ahead of you in the business, uh, they pull up the fucking ladder quick. And the people who haven't done it are two people that a lot, you know, I, I see y'all goofing on Brendan sometimes, but um, 
Brendan never pulled up the ladder. He extended it as far as he could. Craig Carton never pulled up the ladder. He extended it as far as he could. And so you ask why like I'm loyal to some of these guys. Dude, because they did things that not a single other person would even even attempt. And so, yeah, man, I'm, I, 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 that shit does not go unnoticed to me. All right, next. What's next for Colby and what should he do in your opinion? His manager said he can return in April or May after his jaw injury. Currently, he is uh, not in the conversation for a title shot. Colby, yeah, why would he be? And not in talks for a potential matchup with Connor, right? And Tyron and Leon are fighting each other, and we don't know the situation with Nate Diaz. All correct. Also, I don't think he has any interest in fighting Kiesa or Wonderboy because of their ranking, and he probably would need to win another match after to get a title shot. Thanks for the content. Right. I love the idea of Kiesa and Colby. RDA was sitting at five. I don't... Where... Have the rankings been updated since Raleigh? Let me see. I've not even checked because I've been so in the weeds with Super Bowl radio. Uh, let's see at welterweight. Not quite. He has to sitting at seven. But the other fights are Maya at four and Wonderboy at six. Sorry, I have to sneeze. Ugh. Oh, man. Oh, God. <sighs> Excuse me. Um, You could do Colby... You could do Colby Thompson, and you could do Thompson Kiesa. Any of those would make sense uh, in terms of rankings, who's next to each other, fresh matchups, what would be kind of different, that sort of a thing. Uh, if they make Colby versus Kiesa, I liked it. Dude, when Colby went in there with that ca- into that cage with RDA, I was like, dude, this fucking guy. Michael Chiesa, it was huge. He was huge. I couldn't believe how big of a welterweight he was. That dude must have been, I mean, we, we all hear the stories like, oh, that guy was killing himself to get to 155. He must have been really killing himself. There's been a couple times where guys, you know, change weight classes and it has a momentary payoff, you know, and then it doesn't really last. And we'll see if his is lasting. Part, you know, part of the reason why a weight class change might have some success and then not payoff ultimately is because the change in weight wasn't really that big a determinant of their winning and losing. Um, but sometimes it could also be that, you know, you, yeah, you were better situated to get the most out of yourself with less of a weight cut, but you might, there might be an issue like a Donald Cerrone, right? Like, first of all, I think his best ones come at 155 with Benson Henderson, Jamie Varner, uh, Eddie Alvarez. We've been over this. Um, but, you know, you get a fresh matchup, so you can do great things, right? The Rick Story, sort of Matt Brown run with Patrick Cote that he was on. That was a really nice run at welterweight. But you might just be up against it at a certain level, right? So the argument with Cerrone was 50 fights deep. You have a, I mean, it's not a huge amount of numbers in terms of normal statistics, but in terms of fighting, that's a lot of evidence to now look at and say, you know, what is your level? And you could level off. We don't really know what the issue is with Kiesa. We don't know exactly how much of a benefit he's getting from the size. We don't know exactly where he's going to level out. We're, we're trying to figure all that out in real time. But that was a great win for him. Being a number five guy, now jumped up to number seven at welterweight. He looks to be enormous for that weight class, which is, you know, he's going to have a lot of extra heft. He still hasn't been in a five-round fight at 170. First to really see where that's going to be. Um, but the but his game is really different than Colby's on the ground as well. You know, looks for the back, bit of a back attacker, um, bit of a submission hunter in the way that 
you know, so he might like drop for a leg. He might drop for a lot of things. He might like arm drag to the back when he's got, you know, uh, his hands clasped around the waist. Like he's got a lot of different attacks. So I would love to see that fight against Colby. The only thing that sort of makes me wonder is RDA was saying that that recovery from the broken jaw was the hardest thing he may have even done in his career. And, you know, for Colby to come back in April or May, is that, I'm not a doctor, but is that an expedited timeline? You know, I don't know. That's, that's an interesting one. That's an interesting one. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see. But I love that fight. If they did Colby versus Wonderboy, I kind of like that too. I'd prefer to see Kiesa because I think he's on a hot streak and I think he's a good dude, but I, I, I'd be okay with any of those. Uh, hypothetical question. What would you personally sacrifice to ensure Habib Tony versus takes place? Nothing. I mean, don't get me wrong, y'all. I mean, I, how many times have I talked about how important that fight is and how much I want to see it and how much it's amazing. But, you know, you, you got to give credit where the credit is due. That's That, that fight is, has a singular degree of importance. But in terms of the fights that fans want to see, um, you get most of them in the UFC. So that one is beyond special. Beyond special. But... Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not cutting off a ball or something, <laughs> you know, I'm not trimming the beard. I'm not doing any of that shit, you know, so no. Uh, Hey Luke, I'm curious, what kind of international viewership do you get on your channel? Interesting question. I would assume the bulk of it is from America and the UK, but are there any other countries that have surprised you? I'm from India. And we're seeing a lot more interest in the UFC, particularly with Conor and Habib. And whatever happened to the tough India? Yeah, it's hilarious. Remember that announcement? I think it was Benson Henderson and Rich Franklin. They were like in Mumbai or something. Uh, all right. Let's see. I will tell you. I will give you who is my demographic. So I've got this, um, I've got this app. Uh, it's called the... Uh, YouTube studio, and this will just be for the last 28 days, but this is fairly emblematic of what what normally constitutes my traffic. It might be a little bit askew, but this is normally uh, where it comes from. So I can click on audience. Uh, my audience, according to this YouTube studio, uh, is in the last 28 days, 96.1% male, 3.9% female, you know. Not, not a lot of the, it doesn't really go down in my DMs, if you can well imagine. Uh, 13 to 17 year olds is 0.6%. 18 to 24 year olds is about 17%. The bulk of my audience is 25 to 34. That's 46.3%. 35 to 44, my bracket, 24.8%. 45 to 54, 7%, and then so on. In terms of countries, this is the top ranking. United States, 49.3. United Kingdom, 13.3. Canada, 8.7. Australia, 5.6. Ireland, 3.6. Sweden, 1.6. Germany, 1.4. Netherlands, 1.1. New Zealand, a whopping 1%. And it goes down from there. You know what's hilarious to me? Listen to this. Listen to this. So after New Zealand, this is I'm not going to give the numbers, but just in order. Norway, India, Finland, Denmark, France, South Africa, Spain, Portugal, Mexico, Poland, Philippines, Thailand, Israel, uh, Belgium, Austria, Brazil, Switzerland, Croatia, Japan, Serbia, Italy, Romania, Saudi Arabia, Singapore, 
United Arab Emirates, Greece, Malaysia, Bulgaria, Indonesia, Russia, uh, Czech Republic, South Korea, Hong Kong, which I guess they separate out from China, Vietnam, Slovenia, Latvia, and other. You know what's hilarious to me about that? I show Colombia all this love. Those motherfuckers show me no <laughs> zero love. Colombia doesn't give a fuck about my support for them, which is, you know, Danny Segura does because Danny's a great dude. You know, and I guess my wife's, I think, I honestly believe this, and probably they're not even watching. I think, honestly, my wife's in-laws are the only people in Colombia who watch my videos. Hilarious. You know, I love Colombia. They don't love me back. I guess they ever tell you the story. They got this fast food place there. It's not exactly fast food. It's like a, it's like the kind of fast food joint where you order, but then you got to sit because they got to make it. It's, it's not, it's not a restaurant, but it's like semi-fast food. And it's called Pen Paja. It's like how I translate that, like bread now or something, something like that. Um, and uh, <laughs> and my wife was like, you know, we, we had an Airbnb around the corner from, this is in Bogota, and I'll never forget this, man. Like, you know, normally when we're out, man, I just let my wife talk because, you know, number one, I don't look like I'm Latin America, and two, you know, my Spanish is okay, but it's not, it's certainly nowhere as good as hers, and my accent's all fucked up and the whole nine. Anyway, um... But she was like, go get, go get us some breakfast. I was like, okay. I mean, how hard can it be to order breakfast? You know, it's not that. And plus, she just wrote it out. I just had to read it off the phone. And uh, for all the limitations of my, from my, of my Spanish, I'd always been told, like, you know, my accent obviously sounds like I'm American. But I'd never been told that my accent was bad. Like, not, not, not you know, not like, I'm not fooling anybody about where I'm from, but clear and basically understandable, right? Something like that. I went in there, man. This is true shit. I went in there and I'm like, okay, it's my turn. I'm like, all right, you know, primero, like, you know, dos huevos, the whole thing. And uh, I'm reading this thing. And here's what's funny. The lady who was taking my order, she understood everything. And, you know, she's like, do you want milk with your coffee? You know, um, do you want this, you know, para llevar to go? Like the whole thing. And I, we had a conversation. and I, But as I'm going through the list, I, I hear this like chuckling out of the corner. You know, and as the, as I'm as I'm as I'm progressing through the items, because I had to buy it for like five people, as I'm progressing through the items, uh, the, the the laugh is like getting more and more hysterical, till finally I'm not making this up. Like I finished the order, you know, and she's like, uh, I think she asked like, oh, you, like um, I forget what it is, but when you give them your debit card, that you can they there's this weird thing in Colombia where like let's say your bill is like ten bucks. You can actually pay in credits on the ten bucks on the credit card, so like you can pay in installments on your installments. And I was telling her, no, I don't want that. Like, just put the whole charge on there. And the lady who was laughing at me, not the one I'm ordering with, but the lady who was, she, uh, she literally, it was the lady who worked at Pen Paja, taking out the trash. <laughs> okay, like, and I'm not here to demean honest work, man. I'm not, but you know, you're taking out the trash. And she literally was like, you know, she's picking up, like, people in Colombia, they don't take their trays to go, like, if you eat at McDonald's in Colombia, bro, they just leave their shit at the table. They don't pick it up and, like, dump their tray in the trash and put the tray on top of the, th of the, of the trash can. They have somebody who goes around and does that. This lady was going around doing that. She's laughing at my Spanish. Like, it's, I, I must have gone in there and been like, get, you ever heard Gareth Bale speak Spanish? Like, uh, Real es mi sueño. Like, I mean, you just sound like a total hick even though he's from Wales. She laughed so hard 
<laughs> I honestly think she was putting on a show. She had the tray that she was like kind of like mangling with. She like throws it in the air, hysterically laughing at apparently what a fucking gringo I sounded like. And other people then look around at me and they're all like, like this. Truly one of the most embarrassing things that ever happened in my life. I don't know what was so funny because the lady across the counter understood all of it. I went back and told my wife and I was, she's like, read me the order. And I read the order and she was like, sound fine. I don't know what they're talking about. Uh, and so we went back to that thing the next day and my wife ordered. It was the same thing, you know, and we asked like, hey, was there this lady who was laughing here? And, uh, you know, they didn't know. They're like, oh, we don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but I'd never been so embarrassed, man, because I took, I don't take pride in my Spanish per se, but I take pride in the effort I put into it. And uh, dude, Columbia shows me no love, man. So from now on, I don't even call it Pan Paja. I just call it Pan Pa Racist. Pan Pa Racismo. Fuck those losers, man. Even though their coffee's good. All right. Um, similar question, it looks like. What are the demographics of your viewers? While some people enjoy the longer... Vi- oh, a little bit different. While some people enjoy the longer videos on game theory, fighter pay, and whether the UFC is a monopoly, they probably represent a smaller group of MMA fans. You could easily get a lot of cheap views by slamming the other journalists, yet you don't. This is what they wrote. I'm just re- reading to what they wrote. Yeah, dude. If I wanted to be an attack dog, I could easily get a lot of views. You guys ever heard of Vegan Gains? He actually has some good videos now and again, but his whole channel basically is built on these like confrontations where he calls out so-and-so and... And the whole idea is that you make videos back and forth and it raises everyone's profile and everyone gets a lot out of it. My level of interest in doing that is, is zero. If somebody calls me out, I'm going to defend myself. But I don't really have a lot of interest in it. Like those videos I make on fighter pay uh, with Eric Kerner or on unionization or on anything, those are done strictly as a labor of love. I never expect them to do well. I pay someone to edit those just because I'm, I'm running low on time. I lose money on all of them. I don't make a dime on any of them. In fact, yeah, in fact, those are, I mean, you want to talk about uh, the juice not being worth the squeeze in terms of a monet? I don't worry about the metrics on those at all. Those I do because I just want to do the content. Now, obviously, I'm trying to stay afloat and make something out of this, so I have to make some kind of decisions about what, what content matters for growth and what matters for audience sake. But I also want to make sure that I do the content I want to do irrespective of what kind of audience it generates, irrespective of what kind of numbers it pulls, irrespective of what kind of ad rates are involved. I do it strictly I do it strictly because I want to do it, because no one else is doing it. Like, how, What if you just said, do the content that you want to do? What would it look like? Now, there'd be lots of different content that I want to do. Sorry for wiping my nose like this, like an ape. Um, but, because I have a lot of different interests. But in terms of, in terms of that kind of thing, no, it doesn't do anything for my channel uh, uh, for audience generation. But I just feel like it's important to do it. I feel like somebody needs to. I feel like I'm lucky to know a guy like that who can put together those kinds of presentations with that kind of command of the information. So why not do it? Um, yeah, this channel could be very. De- this channel could be a, a lot bigger. I mean, I'm happy with the progress. But like, if I was out there just making these hit pieces you know, on people or, you know, calling out X, Y, and Z, it would do sick numbers. They all do. But, like, my level of interest in that juvenile shit is fairly low. Again, if the need arises for it, I'll, you know, I'll do it. If I get attacked, I'll defend myself. But for the most part, what I want to do is kind of have fun with opinion. And um, I like to correct the record a lot. I think there's a lot of bad information that gets out there. 
and I think hopefully a lot a lot of, what a lot of people tell me that they get out of these videos when they're done well is that they got more information and they feel like over time they can become better fans. That's the whole idea. All of us together collectively through this process because um, you guys check me. I have to check myself. I have to stay locked in and dialed into all the information. I got to talk to the right people, right? So that gives me better access to appropriate levels of and, and kinds of information. I can share that with you, and then you guys can sort of fact check. And there's this over time. There's this developmental growth um, on both sides of the equation here. That's really what it's about for me. You know, yeah, the money can be nice sometimes. Uh, I like having a video do well. In fact, I think I pulled out the Stephen A. stuff from last time. That video is the first video I've pulled out of a live chat video that did better than the original live chat. So I was super thrilled with that. Um, but that's not principally what that's about. You know, so it's a bit of a balancing act. You got to have a little bit of the stuff that makes for growth. Um, if you want to, you know, if, like uh, you have to do some of the stuff that allows for growth, because if you want this to be independently supporting of my, of your career, of my career, you need to put yourself in a position where you can generate the kind of numbers that make that possible. There's a faster way to get there. There's a slower way to get there. You know, I'll play with that a little bit, obviously, but in terms of going hardcore after cheap clicks, um, I just don't have much of a stomach for it for the, for the most part. Stipe's manager publicly stated that Stipe is wanting to fight, quote, someone he hasn't beaten before, meaning not DC or Francis. Stipe refusing to fight DC because of the eye injuries he sustained in their last fight, or is he giving DC the same treatment that he received when he lost the belt DC chasing the Lesnar fight showing Lewis? Seems to me it's a little bit of revenge, which he's entitled to give. You know, I supported Cormier um, when he wanted to go do those things. Um, because of the easy nature of the win that DC had over Stipe, or at least the, the seemingly easy win. Obviously, it wasn't easy the second time. But the first time, it kind of was. And I was like, well, he sort of earned the right. I mean, if you lose your title inside of a round for a fight you had six, seven months to prepare for, you don't, you're not entitled to an automatic rematch, um, which I stand by. But they got one anyway. He won. Uh, I wouldn't call it automatic, but, you know. Well, because, you know, he had the um, – there was the uh, – Derek Lewis fight in between, right? So it wasn't even exactly automatic then, but it was the first. Re it was the first fight for Stipe again. Um, yeah, he's probably just giving a little bit of the treatment. So maybe it's a way to get more money. Maybe it's a way to like delay things. Maybe it's a way to like kind of stick it to him. I, I tend to think they'll eventually fight because in the end, how much leverage does he really have? Not that much. Um, you know, you could say, oh, the champs have a lot of leverage in the UFC, do they? Some some of them do, not really. So. So I tend to think it's just kind of him sticking it to it. And, you know, depending on your perspective, whether you're a Stipe fan or not, um, I'm neither a Stipe fan nor a Stipe hater. I certainly have a ton of respect for his fighting ability. I'll say this. Can you blame him? You know? Can you really blame him? I mean, he's eventually going to fight somebody tough. Probably right. He doesn't have a Lesnar fight waiting in front of him. Can you blame him for kind of sticking it to DC a little bit? DC stuck it to him. All's fair. You know, if someone did it to you, you don't have to do it back to them, but you're within your right to. So consider that. What do you think of, uh, excuse me, rather, this next question. What do you make of Arnold Allen as a prospect in the featherweight division? 7-0 and in the UFC, 16-1 and overall, and only just turned 26 this month. Do you think an athletically gifted fighter trained 
by Faraz Zahabi could cause Volkanovsky any problems? And how many fights away is he from a title shot? Well, let's slow the roll here a little bit. Um, he does have some work to do. But I watched his uh, Nick Lentz fight at UFC Rally. He is very, very good. He's got good movement. He's got great footwork. He's got good pocket presence, right? Sort of knowing when to move in and move out of pocket. So that's an offensive consideration married with a defensive consideration. He's got, um, he's got, he, he's very good about splitting people's timing, especially with his cross. He's got a very good sense of discipline about like, okay, what's the game plan? I'm going to stick to it no matter what happens. He's very, or, or, you know, whatever minor adjustment needs to be made to account for maybe the game plan slipping a little bit. But he really kind of stays focused on what the task is, you know, trying to never get against the fence with Nick Lance. And a couple times it happened, but he, he managed to work his way out of it, right? And then every other time he's circling out, you know, posting the hand on the far, or the near shoulder, rather. He's very, very good. He reminded me a little bit at times of a Conor McGregor. And let me understand what I'm saying. I'm not comparing Arnold Allen to Conor McGregor other than to say um, some of the framing he was doing to get away, some of the bouncing in and bouncing out was really good. He, he's, he's very, very talented, very talented. And he trains with Ryan Hall, so you know he's going to have, especially from a defensive standpoint in terms of getting out of attacks, he's going to really know what the score is and how to do it. He's got a very bright future. I still think, though, there's some issues for him to work on. Number one, um, not that great at slipping punches. You know, slipping punches is hard, like slowly getting out of the way. It's very, very difficult to do. It takes some time to, to develop that skill. A lot of times he kind of gets caught, uh, even in motion, not flat-footed, even in motion he gets caught because he doesn't move his head a lot. He's very good about leaning, and he's good about using his feet for defense. Um, but having a few more things I think would be important. He is good about lateral defense, so about hooking punches coming. He's good about getting the hand up. But in terms of like linear punches getting out of the way, not so great at that. A little bit inaccurate with his punches as well. I'm not saying he's an inaccurate striker. That's not what I'm saying. He's he's good. He's a great fighter. I'm saying something that some things that could be tightened up. The slipping could be tightened up. I think some of the accuracy of tightened up. Um, he's got good shot selection though. Like he knows what punch or strike to throw in certain situations. He's got good situational drilling. Right, so if I throw a kick against a striker, excuse me, against a wrestler, I know they're going to grab it. What are what are my responsibilities in terms of escaping this position? He's got all that down, but I think there's a little bit of inaccuracy with the punches. I think there's a little bit of slipping issue. So to me, um, while he's got these like really clear fundamental skills down at 26, maybe another year or so, maybe two to refine the rest of those because you give that guy, I mean, he understands footwork. He understands strategic discipline. He understands, um, and he knows he's getting hit, you know. He understands what his offense looks like when it works. He understands timing. Like, he's got the big picture down. Now it's about as you zoom in and you get more specific, it's about tightening up those things. But uh, if you're asking me, is that a guy who looks like he might contend for a title one day. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So when I nitpick about some of his uh, defensive liabilities or some of his shortcomings, uh, I don't do it to say that, you know, I know better in all cases. I'm saying no fighter is perfect. And what the tape shows me is his slipping, his head movement, a bit of an issue, and the accuracy of his punches, a little bit of an issue. If he can tighten up the accuracy, 
like one knock on him is that some of his fights go a little bit longer against better guys than than they necessarily need to. And he's got the cardio and the overall skills to beat them. But just think for a second. Imagine he was getting hit less. And imagine when he threw a punch, it landed in a more devastating way earlier in the fight. Because look at the good side of things. His shot selection is good. Like, when do I throw an uppercut? He's good about that. Splitting timing. He's good about that. Well, dude, those are harder, sk- <laughs> those are harder skills to learn. If you've got that down, man, you, you, you can make up the other ground, you know? Especially if you're training with Faraz and Ryan Hall and all those monsters. Yeah, man. He's, you know, no one, no one really knows what the future holds, but you're looking at him. You're looking at his age. You're looking at his skills. You're looking where he's a little bit short. You're thinking to yourself, those are, those are very fixable problems. So we'll see how it goes. I still think he's got some seasoning to do. No need to rush him. But I'd like to see him take a little bit less damage with having a, by having a more complete um, array of defensive skills. And I'd like to see his great shot selection just maximized. If you know when to throw and what to throw, if you can just put a little bit more accuracy in that, man, you're going to do great things, right? So that's all. If you could have any two MMA fighters roided to the gills, have a fight with pride rules. So what was that? Ten minute first round or five minute second? But like stomps and soccer kicks. Who would they be and why? <laughs> okay. I'm only saying this for fun. I'm just saying it for fun. Because he wouldn't do this. But if we're just talking like comic book world. Uh, Michael Bisping versus any fighter who ever used roids against him. Uh, that he wanted to rematch. He he wouldn't do it. I, you know, I get it. You know, he he he's very strongly committed to that not doing that kind of thing. I'm just thinking for fun. You know, turn the tide a little bit, right? That'd be kind of interesting. Uh, how do you feel about the comments from Joanna to Wiley Zhang uh, about the coronavirus? Do you think it is overblown, or could this possibly hurt her brand? With thought enough people care about this, what? Or do you think it's just distasteful? Uh, well, it's definitely distasteful. I mean, here's the thing. This issue is hard to parse. Because, and I say it in the following way. It's obviously distasteful, right? But if you're a Yoana fan, you probably don't think so. Um... Is it racist? Well, the argument would be from people who say it's not. By the way, I want to point this out. I've never come across... I mean, dude, you could have a white fighter literally go up to a black person, call them the N-word to their face, flip them the bird, and there would be a whole bunch of online MMA fans who said it wasn't racist. Like, I, I have... And I mean this... I'm not, I'm not doing a bit. When I encounter MMA fans in person... They're great. Uh, the ones who email me, 99.9% of them are great. The ones on this chat, I, I think these questions are almost universally amazing. Like, I love interacting. I, I do this fucking live chat because I like interacting with MMA fans. But y'all also know there's an online culture of MMA fans where there's some warped, deranged people. I have yet in how many years I've been covering this, you know, the sport, nearly 14 years plus. I have yet to find a single instance where 
you got a basically a majority of online fans to agree that somebody who said something said a racist thing. In every single case, they say, nah, it's not really all that racist. You mean to tell me no one has said anything racist in MMA in 14 years? Get the fuck out of here. Please. What a ridiculous notion. In any event, is this one. The defenders would say no, because what they're making a claim about is uh, China, a geographic territory, not a particular race, that has been saddled. I think I read that the coronavirus is in all the regions of China now, obviously in different proportions. And um, and so this is merely a, a claim about uh, a particular population, irrespective of whether they're Chinese, Korean, African. Wow, that's a, that's a continent, not a, not a nationality. So let's say South African... Rwandan, Moroccan, French, whatever whatever they are, it's just a geographic territory that's been uh, afflicted. In that sense, it would just be distasteful since people are dying. But, uh, you know, okay, so that's one way to interpret it. Even if that's the case and it is distasteful, you could also then go... The, the most polite way to say is it, it might be distasteful, but the fight game people say distasteful things to each other. So who cares? I will say, though, that I know uh, a Chinese person... Uh, it sounds like a weird thing to say, but just hear me out. And they told me their kid was getting bullied at school, that other kids were going up to them and because they were Chinese and uh, teasing them about possibly having the coronavirus. So that is racist as shit. Now, kids, you know, you got to be a little bit forgiving because kids are, you know, civilization is a learned behavior. Um, or civility is a learned behavior. But... Um, that's another way to interpret it. I'll just say this. I don't think Joanna deserves the benefit of the doubt personally. Um, you know, she had that whole jungle statement related to Claudia Gedalia. Then she's like, oh, I love the Chinese. And then she's like, Rawr. you know, I mean, it's like, wow, I didn't realize Joanna starred in Breakfast at Tiffany's when was the landlord, uh, you know, was, I was like, wow, is that, is that Mickey Rooney or is that uh, is that Yoani and Jacek? I can't tell the difference. So, you know, the whole thing about it's not racial. Well, there's a way for it to not be racial. But then when you're like, oh, Chinese food, right? You know, I mean, that shit's out the window at that point. So, you know, you lose the benefit of the doubt. But also, it's the fight game. And people say awful, nasty things to each other. I brought this up the other day. I was like, I think yesterday, as a matter of fact. Because, you know, you had... Um, so the two twin brothers in the NBA, it's Maurice and Markeith Morris. I think it's Maurice. Well, I know Keith plays for the Wizards or, uh, you know, did for a time. And uh, his brother, I think, plays for the Knicks. And I forgot who they played. But he was accusing somebody of being soft. And he was like, oh, he's got feminine qualities. He's soft. And then Sarah Spain, you know, who hectors the free world about all of their uh, – you know, their moral transgressions, but has nothing to say about, um, you know, MMA talent, MMA fighters who have dubious, who say dubious things and do dubious things. I, you know, I wonder why that is. But in any event, um, she went on, I think, uh, Dan Lebitard's show, Highly Questionable, and was like, oh, let me tell you what, you know, here's what, here's what I have to say about people who think women are soft, you know, and it's just whatever. But uh, I was wondering, it's like, man, if y'all think that is offensive, and I'm not here to, you know, I'm not here to tell you you should think that what, what Morris said was great. I, I'm not defending Morris. I'm just simply saying, if y'all think that's bad, <laughs> you 
we got we got white guys telling B movie actors who are black that they're the N word, and this is just tolerated. You know, uh, y'all haven't seen anything. So it was. I, I think my question was, if if the mainstream media knew what MMA fighters said to the press or to each other, and to some extent they did with you know the Mayweather McGregor stuff, but in general, like the more the less known talent, would their heads explode? I do think their heads would explode. I think their heads would explode. All right. Um, early thoughts on the Derek Brunson Edmund Shabazian matchup. I fucking love this fight so much. This is a really, really well made fight. Someone said something to me the other day, and I hadn't really thought about it, but maybe it might be true. Dude, is Sean Shelby like a better matchmaker than uh, Joe Silva? He might be. He might be. Or, or I should say, rather, depending on the weight class, because I don't want to give him all the credit, but it could be a Mick Maynard or a, uh, or a, um, Sean Shelby versus Sean Shelby and, and Joe Silva matchmaking. But there's a lot of fights that I'm seeing now that I'm like, I don't think we would have. I can't quite put my finger on why. But there's a lot of fights we're seeing now that I don't think we would have um, if Joe Silva had been there. Maybe that's not fair. I don't know. But, you know, one, it's hard to, it's hard, it's hard to know. But this is one that I just absolutely love. Brunson, I think, still has a lot left in the tank. And Shabazzian is just running through people. So, and by the way, we'll test him in the wrestling. If Shabazzian's, sorry, I'm closing my eye because I got to sneeze again. I apologize. Shit, maybe I have the coronavirus. Um, I might be getting cold. I don't know. Um, what was I going to say? Yes, can test you with the wrestling, has veteran savvy. You know, I, I thought he beat Anderson Silva. I mean, I realize he didn't, but I thought he did. You know, he's just got a lot of different things he can test you against. I thought the exact same thing when he went up against uh, Israel Adesanya. I was like, wow, that's great, great test. I love this from Shabazzian. Shabazzian, it's almost like he needs to slow his roll a little bit because unless he's just next level amazing, which he might be, but I tend to think he's very, very good. But there's, you know, you're always going to discover someone's flaws in MMA. The universal constant in MMA is eventually you're going to get found out. And the question is, what are they going to find and what are you going to do about it? Everybody gets rocked eventually. Everyone gets tired eventually. Everyone gets. You know, uh, a, a limit to their game shown. How do you hit that second, third gear? And uh, I'm still waiting to figure out what that is for him. But this is a, I love this fight. I love everything about this fight. Because I thought Shabazzian versus Tavares was going to be a nice test. And Shabazzian just, just, just went right through him. So we'll have to see about this one. Uh, people ask this all the time. Look, how do you think Khabib's skill set would fare against the 170-pound elite? I don't think he'd be that great against the bigger ones. Against Jorge Masvidal, I think he'd give Jorge some problems. I'm not saying he'd win, but I think he'd give him some problems. Against Dos Anjos, you already saw that. Um, against Leon Edwards, I think he'd beat Leon. So I think he'd beat a lot of the best. I just don't know if he'd beat Usman and Colby. I've kind of been over that one, though. Sorry, I know I'm wiping my face 50 times a second. I should have brought a tissue. I just didn't. I apologize. Oops. Close this up here. Uh, let's see. How come Stipe and Stipe fans don't acknowledge that it was agreed upon that the winner of Stipe versus DC won... 
was going to face Brock, but after he lost, he makes it seem like DC held out on him. I think this entitled attitude of his has turned off some fans. Yeah, look, guys, in the end, what do you think is really going to happen? I think he's going to go fight Derek Lewis or... Uh, I mean, dude, he, okay. Let me, let me show you this. Here are the rankings at heavyweight. Okay, let's go down to them, shall we? Here are the top five. Presumably, he'll fight someone in that space. Okay? So, number five is Jarzinho Rosenstruck. I think he's got a big fight coming up, but he would be uh, he'd be next. right? He, he'd be fresh matchup. Dos Santos, he's already fought twice, so that's out. Blades, that'd be new. Francis, that'd be old. And then DC, that'd be old. You can go down to Derek Lewis. Um, but, you know, I don't think he's really entitled contention. Then you got Volkov, same thing. Overeem, already beat. Walt Harris, God bless him, he's got a bit of a long road ahead of him. And then 10 is Shamil Abdurakimov. So let me read the top 10 one more time. Work with me here. Shamil Abdurakimov, Walt Harris, Alistair Overeem, Alexander Volkov, Derek Lewis, Jairzinho Rosenstruck, Junior Dos Santos, Curtis Blades, Francis Ngannou, Daniel Cormier. Ask yourself the following. Which of those fighters, in terms of pay-per-view sales and pay-per-view points, is going to provide Stipe Miocic the biggest possible return on his investment? And the answer is, unequivocally, Daniel Cormier. He's got, I, I mean, I, can't, I cannot guarantee you that I know that that's going to happen. What if DC gets injured? What if Stipe just sticks to his guns in the most irrational way? Well, then they don't fight. But my hunch is that in all likelihood... Uh, in terms of Stipe's legacy, in terms of DC's legacy, and in terms of where the money is, that's your biggest possible fight. Uh, in terms of who's the money earner there, in terms of um, you know who's been in the biggest fights in the company relative to the other, it's Cormier. Cormier is the financial A side here. So you know he can say, "I'm going to fight someone new." Well, who is it? Curtis Blades. You're really going to fight Curtis Blades? I mean, I respect Curtis Blades enormously. I would love to see it. It'd be cool to don't I would love to see that fight. But I'm just thinking out loud, like, you know, you gotta how old is Steve Bay? Like 36, 37? Let me see. Now I know I know that heavyweights age a little bit differently. He's 37. He'll be 38 in August. Clock's ticking for him too, man. So you want to make some money, now's the time. This is it. This is your moment to make some good cash. And he's entitled to make good cash. That's the Cormier fight. So you know, how this is all going to go, I don't know. I, I can't say with a degree of certainty, but gun to my head, he's fighting DC again. That's just where all the money is and where all the legacy is. UFC is going to find a way to make that fight. Uh, that's my hunch. Has there ever been a more injury-free champion than John Jones in the UFC? Outside of his broken toe with Chael, I can't remember him ever having an injury that forced him out of a fight before. What would you attribute that to? Partly his youth. Right? I mean, he was championed by, what, 2021? So he was out there beating the brakes off the world's best in his weight class when he was at his, even before his peak physicality. I mean, remember, you know, if a, if a, if a kid twists his ankle, it's going to heal a lot quicker than someone my age, right? So youth just has this regenerative effect on injuries. Now, some of those, obviously, uh, you know, like Tua Tungavailoa from Alabama – I mean, that injury he had on his hip, you know, better to have it at that age than 80, I suppose. But, um, you know, he won't be wheelchair-bound or anything, but, you know, that's a devastating injury. But in general, like the bumps and bruises, you know, they're going to heal a lot easier when you're 22, 
23, 24, that sort of a thing. So partly that, partly genetics. I also think, you know, uh, it may not have been the best strategy for a time for his development, but there was a lot of his career where he spent, by his own admission, you know, uh, okay, I got a fight coming up. We go train for three months, four months, whatever it is. We go fight, and then I take time off again. I'm out of the gym. He's just not getting banged up all the time. You know, part of the reason I think St. Pierre had more injuries is St. Pierre was just always grinding. And and again, St. Pierre wasn't in there just wilding out, sparring all the time. But, you, you know, the, the number of times you step on your mat, it's a numbers game. You know, eventually it's going to get you. And uh, I think part of it is he just may have saved himself a little bit. I think part of it is, you know, he had time off due to his various indiscretions. So between good genetics, between youth, between maybe a little bit of luck, between taking time off after fights, between taking time off due to various problems in his career, yeah, man, he doesn't get too banged up. Good. It's great. In terms of, uh, or, you know, also he might just go into fights fucked up and just not talk about it. The Diaz brothers are pretty good about that, too. They're not as MMA champions. That's sort of what you're talking about here. But um, they, they deserve some credit for being Iron Men as well. Uh, opinions on Nathaniel Wood, a young prospect at 3-0 in the UFC bantamweight division and is scheduled to fight Dodson at Rio Rancho. I see that matchup going down. I haven't thought much about it, but you're absolutely right. Nathaniel Wood is a very impressive young man. Very, very talented. Loved seeing him get his run in the UFC. That was the guy that upset... Uh, Fireball kid, right? Um, my kid's home. You can hear it. Maybe you can hear the dog barking. I don't know. Um, let me see. I think that was right. I could be misremembering, though. So if I am, please forgive me. Let me see. His nickname is The Prospect, though. You got to fix that. I mean, you're out here beating these kids. No, that was not him. Sorry. His wins in the UFC were Johnny Eduardo, Andre Ewell, and then Jose Alberto Quinones. Quin Keen Yones. Um, yeah, Teco was the last guy he beat, and he submitted all three. I mean, he's a bad dude. He's very, very, very talented. So this is a nice step up. I think Dodson is on the, you know, the heavier end of his career, but he's still fast. He's still strong. He's got good knockout power. He's got good takedown defense. It's a great, it's a great, again, it's a good matchup, dude. It's a really good matchup. Let's see, who wins these fantasy matchups? McGregor versus Lomachenko under glory rules. I'm going to say McGregor, but only because Lomachenko, you know, Lomachenko is finding out the limits of his power at 135. I mean, McGregor is just enormous relative to him. So that would, you know, not really a fair comparison. Tonin versus Tony Ferguson under combat jiu-jitsu rules. Tonin makes it very easy. I don't think some people realize what the... I was a, not a skeptic of the Danaher guys, but I was not as uh, readily convinced about what they were doing when they were over at EBI because EBI is not where A-class opponents compete. They have a couple of A-class guys, but I say it all the time. You want to see where A-class guys go? You watch the Pan Ams. You watch Nogi Worlds, IBJJF tournaments, or you watch ADCC and ADCC qualifiers. Um, now, that is a little bit overstated. You can see some other ones now in professional grappling contests. Um, that kind of mixed it up a little bit more. But for many, many, many years, that was where you saw all the... You look at a division, and it just be A-class talent all the way down. You just never saw that in EBI. So I'm like, those wins those guys have are nice, but that doesn't tell me enough. Plus, EBI has a sort of interesting rule set. Uh, and then they went over to IBJJF and ADCC, and they just... 
and they just went to work on these fools. And that was a real eye-opener for me. Now, I realize the combat jiu-jitsu rules are different, but even then, you know, a heel hook's a heel hook. Um, Gordon Ryan versus Jordan Burroughs under unified MMA rules. Gordon Ryan, I think, would have his way with him. Uh, okay. Thoughts on Diaz's next move. Which one? I th- really think he could walk away today. What's le- I think you mean Nate? What's left for him, other than the obvious trilogy, and that's to say if he ever gets that fight, because the way Connor looked, he got so many options that provide some sort of parity. Masvidal, possible Tony Ferg. Bob Aram is talking about Bud Crawford and McGregor. My question is, is Diaz the odd man out? Well, Diaz might be the odd man out now as we speak today, but Diaz is very, very cognizant of one thing. The game will shake itself out and make itself available in interesting ways if you just give it a couple of rotations. Um, Provided he doesn't stay out for very long, I think he's making some smart plays here. Like, you know, it was annoying to me when he was like, oh, you know, I'm out. I'm not going to fight again. Peace out to the fight game. I was just like, you know, come on, man. Like, strike while the iron's hot. But, you know, he's living his own life. He's going to do what he wants. So it doesn't matter what I think. Um, um, So you just give it some time. Let's see who Jorge fights next. Let's see who Kamaru fights next. Let's see who Connor fights next. Let's see what happens with Khabib and Tony. Let's see what happens with... All these things. Let it play out a little bit, and then when the time is right, strike. You know, he may end up fighting Dustin. I don't know. But uh, a lot of times people always ask me this question, like, where does this guy fit in? Well, right now, nowhere. Right now, it's a fair question. But in six months? Let's see. Let's see then. Let's see what happens after the, after the divisions have had some rotations and where Nate might fit in at that point. And, you know, if they can get, if he can sign up for a fight where things get interesting. You just never know how the game's going to revolve. And usually what happens is it revolves in a way where if you're a high-prized um, talent, people want to see it. People want to people know uh, what the answer would be to something, you know. So, do people want to see fucking YouTubers fight? They're going to want to see Nate Diaz fight. What is the most impressive feat of strength you've seen in person? You can hear my baby. Dada, she says. Um, wow, that's a great question. What's the most impressive feat of strength you've seen in person? What was that dude's last name? I went to high school with this kid. He had to have been on steroids. Um, first name was Rex. What was his last name? I mean, he's just a total meathead from the from the womb. But he, I think he was on steroids. I don't, I don't remember his last name. And I watched him in the parking lot. Uh, deadlift um, behind his back lift up a Volkswagen Beetle. That was impressive. Uh, In the gym, I've seen some low 500, uh, high 400 benchers. And Uh, that's probably probably the dude who deadlifted the car behind his back. You know, that was pretty ridiculous. Oh, Jesus, y'all! I think I'm coming down with a cold. Fuck, Luke. I heard you lived in India for a while. Yes. So, do you like Indian food? I mean, aside from Tom Nichols, who's who doesn't? What is your favorite dish? Oh, good lord. Um. 
Jesus. Not sure I know. I'm a chef and a longtime viewer of your videos. Keep up the great work. I mean, understand, I lived there when I was a baby. Like, when I was my baby's age. I, I lived there, I think, up until uh, 18 months. So it's not like I have a whole lot of memory, or any memory for that matter, of that place. But um, also, I probably like Indian food in its Americanized way. What is the one that I like here? Hold on. There is one that is an Indian place right by my house. I get this thing there all the time. What is the name of it? Uh, first of all, they have a mango lassi there that's like... But what is the... It is the... It is the... Oh, it's the chicken vindaloo, which I know is a little bit Americanized, but theirs is really good, really, really good. Um, but I like exp I like um, not expensive. I'm sorry. I like um, uh, uh, like really hot curries. You know, I like that kind of stuff too. All right, let's see how the stream is doing. Looks pretty good. Let's see how. Um, viewer activity. Yeah, there's a few questions in the chat. We'll get to them here in a minute. Okay, rank these. What is this? Okay, someone says, which one of these brands of cerveza is the best in your opinion? And the choices are Corona, Modelo, Tecate, Dos Equis, Carta Blanca, or Presidente. Well, understand all of them are shit. <laughs> I mean... When I say that, I'm not telling you I'm above it. Like, if I went to a party and that's all they had, I'd drink all of it. I'm not, you know, I'm not in any way above it. But if we're actually talking about good beers, you wouldn't put any of these on the list. So, if we're ranking unimpressive beers, I'll go, God. And I've not had Carta Blanca, but I've had all the rest of them. I'll go, I'll go Modelo. Corona, Dos Equis, Tecate, Presidente, and I'll put Carta Blanca, Carta Blanca at the end, which I've never just had. All right, so it's past the hour mark. Let us go to... Uh, let us get to the... Uh, paid questions, which you're under uh, never under an obligation to get to, but... I can't read this one. There's one I can't read here. I'm sorry. So I'll go to the one I can. PSCing to Fort Belvoir soon. Any advice on places to live and things to do? Married an Air Force guy with three young kiddos. I don't get out to Fort Belvoir very often. It's it's a it's in a nice area, um, but I don't. Let me see exactly. It's been a while since I've been out to Fort Belvoir. Let me see. So, they got a golf club and everything out there. I mean, you're pretty close to Alexandria. You're close to Springfield. You're close to Annandale. Uh, don't live in, well, Woodbridge is cheap, but Woodbridge used to be like part of the suburbs of D.C. where people are like, oh, this is a nice, it's a nice suburb. Now they call it Hoodbridge. 
I don't really get sized for it. Lake Ridge is not much different. Lorton is not much different. Um, try to live closer to the water, to the Alexandria side. Obviously, it's a little bit more expensive, but it's really, really nice. Um, and then Springfield's okay. Springfield's only come up a little bit. They had that one in- incident at the mall, but in general, I think it's, it's really nice. And the countryside there is really, really beautiful. So, um, but in terms of like beyond that, what else did you ask? Things to do. I don't know. I don't get out. I apologize again, guys. I'm gross. I'm so sorry. Uh, I don't get out there that often. Thoughts on Bernie Sanders interview Yang again. Yeah, I would love to, but I don't think they come on a show like mine. Not very often. I mean, Yang did. I don't know if he'd come back on. Thoughts on Bernie Sanders. Yeah, someone emailed me about this when I said, you know, I basically share Rogan's opinion that I'll probably vote for him. Um, well, again, I'm not going to vote because it doesn't matter. I've said it before. I live in a city that is so predominantly one side that, you know, my vote doesn't mean anything. Um, but the basic reason I would vote him is that there's a lot I don't like about his policies. There's no there's no one candidate that really fits my particular profile of uh, policy views that I'm looking for. But I think Bernie is electable, despite what David Frum and um, other never-Trumpers slash neocons might say. I think he's electable. Uh, there are some platforms of his that I really like. He is supportive of Palestine, legalization of marijuana, um, you know, the cessation of forever wars. I'm really in favor of that. Like the fact that he voted against the Iraq war, uh, for prison reform. I mean, these are lots of things that I really sort of, sort of sign off on him as well. Uh, I think people who take seriously the idea of breaking up big tech need, I like that. Um, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about Medicare for all um, or free tuition. I think uh, that these seem, A, a little pie in the sky, and then uh, there's a question about whether they're even politically feasible. But in terms of also, and Elizabeth Warren is good in this capacity as well, like um, reforming of the filibuster and uh, potentially of the Electoral College. These are things that, you know, Bernie has some decent ideas about. Uh, but really the main one would be... Um, the Republican Party in 2016 had their moment of uh, had come to a Jesus moment with their their own establishment, and that's still playing itself out. The Democratic Party did not, and Bernie to me would usher in this reconciliation of the death of the establishment of the Democratic Party, which I would very much like to see. I would like to see. I would like to say goodbye in a complete and thorough and total way to the Clintons. I would like to say goodbye to the Rahm Emanuel's. I would like to say goodbye to the uh, um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, to the, I mean, all of these uh, basically reprehensible creatures. So I believe that Bernie forces that, um, and uh, that to me is an interest in mine. Your mileage may vary. Could Khabib beat three roses at the same time? I think he might. Shit, he might. Makachev versus the loser of Hooker versus Felder. Ooh. That's a good one. Yeah, I love that. It would have been nice to see him fight Kevin Lee, but obviously that's not the direction they're going to go. That's not a bad one. Um, someone says, your podcasts are finally showing in my normal podcasting app. Just wanted to say thanks for all the content. It makes my day that much better. Well, you make my day that much better. Who's this from? Santino Morales. Thank you, Santino. Mil gracias. Cup of coffee from a fellow Java boy. There's Melvin Pacheco. 
Well, here come the Latins. Where is this, uh, where's the Colombian support? All right. Daddy Fat Stacks, B-O-G-B-O-I, uh, So now that it is almost certain we are not getting the Connor versus Jorge fight, is that certain? Who do you believe would have won that fight? Also, do you believe that the rumors that McGregor's team turned the fight down? I don't believe any rumors, number one. They could be true, but I just, you know, I don't, I don't take that into consideration when I think about these things. Who do you believe would have won that fight? Well, I would have leaned towards Jorge, but not in some kind of way where it's like, oh, Connor's totally out of this. Um... I think I would have given I would have treated Jorge as the favorite, but I would not have treated him as the inevitable winner. So you're asking which way I would lean. I lean that direction. Look what your belt rank in BJJ. We've been over this a million times. Uh, did you hear Stephen A on Ariel's show? Fuck no. Ariel has been defending him all week. I have seen some of that. Saying he's correct about everything and Brown nosing him badly. Well, that is your characterization. I wouldn't say that he is brown nosing him. Um, let me let me finally put a let's put let's put a bow on this debate and then end it. You know, has I've said everything that needs to be said about it, except maybe one or two things. I do not understand the defense of Stephen A. under the consideration that, and I want to make it clear about what I'm doing here. I'm making an argument about someone else's argument. I am not trying to go on some kind of character assassination tour. Um, I hope, I hope that even though I have my weaker moments and I can result to, uh, or I can, I can end up in uh, uh, ad hominem at times, um, I hope that in my better moments that what you take away from this live chat is it, always try to make an argument about what you believe and why. Uh, and about what someone else believes. I'll try to understand their perspective. It doesn't mean you agree, but try to reason through things. It doesn't, it won't always save you. In fact, you might be as right as you are wrong, but it at least gives you a good faith attempt to try to answer for things. So what I'm about to say is a critique of an argument. Okay? The arguments that I have seen in defending Stephen A. at the end of this, and we'll put this conversation to bed after this, have been that there's an MMA elitist streak that prevents us from allowing anybody else who has not been sort of ushered into the community from having a say. And it's true that that phenomenon has existed and continues to exist. However, I mean, what a straw man argument in this particular case. It, it's, it's really not why people are bringing it up. The reason why people have an issue with Stephen A is because as it relates to MMA analysis and commentary, he is incompetent. It is a simple, this, this, this is not very difficult to understand. He is incompetent. He is not good at the job. And you'll notice that they have changed the defenses of this character over time. At first it was like, well, what he said was not so bad, um, or... You know, uh, he brings audiences uh, to the table or something like that. Uh, and again, all of these are just, you know, total nonsense. You know, you parachute into a Conor McGregor post-fight show. Uh, you're standing next to perhaps the most celebrated broadcaster of this generation. 
and I'm supposed to think that Stephen A. with a red cape is saving the day. These are ridiculous arguments. But the real objection to what Stephen A. said is, yeah, some people don't like it when when um, you call a fighter a quitter. Look, you can call fighters quitters. Uh, you got to be very careful about it. You got to have a good argument for it, and you need to be very selective about it. But for example, I'll say it out loud. I think Amir Khan quit against Bud Crawford. He got hit with a low-ish blow, and I think he just decided he'd had enough. Uh, I don't. I don't think Amir Khan's a bad person. I don't think Amir Khan has quit throughout the course of his career, and I don't really know what's next for Amir Khan. But my very strong belief is that Amir Khan decided he wanted out against Bud Crawford. The level of commitment he had shown to overcoming that obstacle relative to what I have seen in other boxing, kickboxing, and MMA fights was minuscule. Minuscule. I have seen way more determined efforts. And it was so... It was... He bowled over so quickly that... I am forced to at least entertain, and in my particular case, conclude that Amir Khan quit. It is not that you cannot say fighters quit. Sometimes you have to say things that piss people off. In fact, I would argue if what you try to do is constantly feed the egos of your audience and you never challenge them to think differently, you're a fucking fraud. You're a fraud and a huckster. None of those are the reasons why we are being disqualifying of Stephen A. Smith. This is this is the simplest issue in the world. He fucking sucks at it. <laughs> Case closed. That's it. That's the whole argument. He's terrible at it. He's not good. He was insulting to Cerrone, but he was insulting in a way where the conclusion that he quit seems... Yes, you could conclude that, but the evidence seems fairly weak for it in my view. We've gone over the strength of schedule where Conor McGregor was your fifth fight that year in 364 days, where he had already been roughed up, where holding on in a clinch is the way he did it to Robbie Lawler, where the wave of punishment came over him before he knew what to do, and he did not turn in a particularly strong effort. And you can say as much, and you can say his strength of schedule is way too much for him to handle, and part of it, the reason you can criticize him is you can say, if you really want to be competitive in these fights, you've got to stop taking them on these kinds of frequencies. And if you really, really want to double down and say he quit, you can. I think it's a very, very bad argument. But that's really not why we're doing it. Then he doesn't understand. He doubled. He said that the paper, it was his first pay-per-view in the sit-down or the stand-up with Joe Rogan. He said it in the post-fight show. And he even said it days later in his fucking response to Joe Rogan. He couldn't get a basic facet of Donald Cerrone's career under control. Dude. Stephen A. Smith is disqualified from doing this job because he fucking sucks at it. How is this hard to understand? What they're trying to do is what they try to do. And understand the context of what I'm about to say this. Stephen A., I watched first take. I don't really care about his football tactics. I don't find them super offensive one way or the other. The show is about debate, you know. But if you're going to be on an analysis show, I've heard people say two things that just drive me up the fucking wall. They say things like, well, he speaks, you know, for the, for the average fan. That's what the average fan would be saying. Well, then why the fuck are you paying him $10 million? 
The best you're getting out of him is what the fucking asshole at Buffalo Wild Wings has to say? Seriously? That's, this is your argument? Hey, that's what the average fan would say, would say. Right, the average fan who doesn't know their ass from a hole in the ground? You're going to pay this guy $10 million to give you that level? The whole point is to say things in a way that are not only interesting, sometimes provocative, sure, um, but to be factual and to be erudite and to be interesting. He was none of them. This is this is the this is the simplest problem in the world to to diagnose. He sucks at the job. He doesn't know what he's looking at. He has put no time into to learning it. He might actually have a genuine interest now. That's fine. Dude, I'm not against Stephen A. Smith doing UFC broadcasts. I'm against him doing UFC broadcasts before he's ready. He's not ready. Put him on UFC Raleigh. Put him on Rio Rancho. Have fighters come on um, his show. Have him do sit-down features with them. This will be a learning process for him. And you could say, oh, well, they're paying him all this money. They don't want him to do that. That sounds like an ESPN problem. That doesn't sound like a me problem. That sounds like a them problem. Dude, nothing would make me happier than Stephen A. Smith being a credible speaker of MMA analysis and then being a part of the broadcast and sharing his audience's attention to the extent that that's a real thing. It would certainly be a real thing on Rio Rancho or Raleigh. It's not a real thing on um, you know, a Conor McGregor post-fight show. They could have put me on there. That shit's still going to do great numbers. But the point being is he has work to do. I am not against him being on the broadcast. I'm against somebody utterly unqualified, whether his name is Stephen A. Smith or Joe Smith or, you know, fucking Otis or whatever. I'm against that person, the unqualified person, being on the broadcast. There is nothing interesting about somebody repeating what the average person could cook up in their brain. The whole idea is that you're supposed to be on there because you have a degree of expertise over this subject matter. Well, show it to me. Oh, I'm sorry. It does not presently exist. Fine. Put in a little bit of work. Like, understand what they're saying. They're saying that Stephen A. Smith is so special, he doesn't really have to put in that work. He can just do whatever the fuck he wants and then parachute into the next one. Dude, that's a slap in the face to you. That's a slap in the face to MMA. MMA, we give such a little fuck about MMA. We're going to trot this donk out here, and he's going to say uh, Donald Cerrone's butthole was tight, and that, that might be why he lost. Isn't this great for MMA? I mean, what a fucking pathetic argument. It would be nice for him. Put the fighters on first take. Have him do sports center features. Have him go practice on smaller shows. And when he's trained up and he's good, then roll him out to the next Conor McGregor fight. I'll be the first person saluting him. When did Kimbo change the tune of how MMA thought of him? It's when he went on the ultimate fighter. When he finally submitted himself to the process. And he did not end up becoming the very best fighter. But you know what he did? He fucking tried, man. He tried. He put everything he had into that. And how can you look at what Kimbo did and say anything other than, you know what, dude? Respect. 
Respect to Kimbo Slice for that, man. He did not have to. He could have taken a million. God, I bet Kimbo was around. I would love to see Kimbo versus Logan Paul. Kimbo just knocking him the fuck out. Kimbo was ahead of his time for that kind of a thing. They didn't even think about YouTubers fighting each other at the time. You know? Uh, but he submitted himself to the process, and he tried to get better. And he earned himself a couple of UFC fights out of the process and a little bit more longevity in his career. Dude, good for him. Good for him. Good for Kimbo Slice. And I will say, good for Stephen A. Smith if he does homework. Not what the producer emailed over to him. I mean, really put in time to understand what you're talking about. He has put in the time to have something, a, a modicum of information related to the NFL, related to the um, uh, Major League Baseball or the various issues that they normally go over, certainly in boxing. Uh, and the various issues that they normally go over on first take. I don't really take issue with it, man. And that's a debate show anyway, where, you know, wild is the name of the game. I get it. All I am asking for, and if this makes me uh, 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 unfair, then it makes me unfair. I am merely asking for somebody competent. And let me say one last thing about this, which I think is the most important thing. Dude, look at what they are trying to do to you. Look at what the they are. Th this is a world... Now, Stephen A. Smith is highly accomplished, and in his other sports where he gives commentary, this is not what I am talking about. Look at how hard they are trying to find excuses to paper over mediocrity. Rank unqualification. Dude, the world is full of situations like this. They exist at your workplace, I am certain. How many times have you looked around and been like, how are these mediocre fucks? Getting past me, past my other guy who worked harder than me, this person who's been at this job forever. How are they getting this? How is this possible? Because, dude, this is the way the world works. Power will, will find ways to shove mediocrity in your face, and then they will gaslight you into believing it's good for you. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. It's not true. It wasn't true then. It's not going to be true tomorrow, and it's not true right now. You want a job, be fucking qualified. Listen to how obvious that sounds, and listen to me being on the outside looking and saying this. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. It's crazy that the argument, be qualified, is somehow reactionary. The argument, hey man, maybe take a bit of an apprenticeship role and work your way up, sounds crazy. Because look at what I'm doing. Showtime didn't give me Paulie Malignaggi's job. Showtime didn't give me Al Bernstein's job. Showtime didn't give me Steve Farhood's job. You know where they put me? And I'm grateful for every rep. You know why? Because I need it. Because I don't deserve anything else. I barely deserve this one. And I want to work my ass off to get somewhere else. They make me go on the prelim card and they make me get better at that and they make me know the prelim card fighters and they make me have to tee up the main card fighters and I don't get to be on television yet. You know why? Because I haven't earned it. I just did Super Bowl radio. If you guys don't know what that is, I do, a, I do some analysis on that but you know who I'm teeing up? I'm teeing up Adam Shine because he deserves the shine. I'm teeing up uh, Brady Quinn and Bruce Murray because they're the experts in football. They deserve the shine. I'm teeing up 
uh, Charlie Weiss. I'm teeing up uh, Ed McCaffrey. You know why? Because they deserve the shine. I didn't go to Miami. Sway went to Miami. Steve Torrey went to Miami. Uh, uh, Adam Shine went to Miami. You know why? Because they put in the work to deserve the spot down there. I don't deserve to go to Miami. And I don't deserve to be on Showtime television. Not right now. Not until I put in the work to get there. You know why? Because if you want the roles in Miami on radio, if you want to be on Showtime Boxing, and nay, if you want to be on ESPN television, you should be qualified. You should not be mediocre, and you should not let people in this world, whether it is ESPN or any other entity, lie to you and tell you that it is okay that someone could be manifestly unqualified for a job and it's okay because they're nice because they really like the sport because they can sometimes bring audiences which by the way is a dubious bullshit claim because all the reasons that have nothing to do with the answering of the question can you do this job in the way this job is supposed to be done and the answer for Stephen A. Smith, is fuck no. That doesn't mean it is permanently that way. That doesn't mean he is forever destined to never be able to talk about MMA. Dude, nothing would make me happier than for MMA to be a bigger part of his show, a bigger part of his life. Dude, Stephen A. Smith, you want some help? Come on my radio show. Email me, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. I will be your fucking mentor. I will be your Yoda. Teach you, I will. Hit me up, Stephen A. Smith. I will help you. I will do it. I will put my money where my mouth is. Cut this clip up right here and send it to him. Send it to Stephen A. Smith. I will help him. I'm not against him. I'm against anybody, any name, in any capacity, having a job that they're not good at and that they don't deserve. That is either Brett Okamoto's job or that is Ariel Hawani's job, and it is no one else's. Not until they put in the work to know better. End of discussion. Stop excusing mediocre men. Stop excusing people who don't fucking rate trying to get and leapfrog a million people who have broken their backs to scratch and claw. Stop doing it. There. All right, Luke, pressure fighters as we transition. I'm fucking done with that topic. What enables someone to be a pressure fighter? At the end of the day, is it just a preference? Yes, it is very much a preference. It's a certain style of defense. It's a certain attitude. It's a certain strategic risk-reward ratio. It's a certain way that um, uh, you might feel best situated for it. It's a certain desire to take punishment. Uh, Not everyone can do it who wants to do it. But yes, it's a, it's a tactical approach. It's a lot of things. It's like your attitude to the game, married with a, the tactics that make it work, married with success that rewards that, that effort. It's all of those things. Um, Rafael Garcia, my guy, says, just because, I see you, player. Nate Diaz looks washed out and would hate to see Connor in his prime wasting another fight with him. I don't agree he looks washed out at all. He already beat Nate convincingly last time. Did he? Convincingly? I mean, I thought he won, but I don't know about convincingly. Besides... Even if you feel that way, the the amount of marketing behind that one 
This is too much. Uh, what about Ari Shafir, the amazing racist? So what did he, I had to look this up. So what did he do? He celebrated Kobe Bryant's death when he died? Here's the thing, man. Obviously, that is a thing that I cannot condone saying, but I'm going to give a bit of a leash to artists, which is what he is, when they engage in controversial practices. I didn't, you guys are too old to remember this, but there was this dude who caused this storm 20, 30 years ago when he took a cross and he put it upside down and he put it in this container of piss and he called it the piss Christ and it was an art exhibit and people lost their mind. Uh, I didn't mind it. I didn't, I, I think that's stupid art, but I, it's one thing for fighters to do it. And again, if they're sort of engaging in it for fight talk, you got to be a little bit forgiving, you know, with the gas mess thing with you want. I'm not going to lose my mind over it. But um, but I will say, um, if it's an artist and they're engaging in sort of the limits of free speech, I tend to just look the other way. Not that I condone it, but I don't, I'm not going to call the New York Comedy Club and be like, fuck Ari Shafir. It just doesn't affect me that way. So it says, me losing $10 a week, you talking to a heap of black detritus. Who will see who caves first? <laughs> Appreciate that. If, Book, if Bigfoot wins, can he return to the UFC? No. He does not belong in the UFC. Someone says, for the love of all things holy, use this to buy a new microphone windscreen. I know, guys. I've been so busy. I've been up since 2.45 this morning. I'm tired. I'm going to have a beer after this. Okay? Put up the great work. That's all. Thank you. I'm so sorry. I know. It's janky as shit. Look at this. Look at that. Look how nasty that is. So terrible. Oh, here it is. Please enjoy a beer from the Australian crowd. Thank you, Australia. Shouts to Australia. Uh, Jose says, just wanted to thank you for the amazing content. Definitely helps you pick up during the post-grad job hunt. Wish you and your loved ones all the best. Thank you, Jose. Mil gracias. Ireland 3.6 representing. Yeah, Ireland. Good people. Uh, Khabib cousin Umar just signed with UFC, and he will fight in the same card as Khabib. Who should he fight? Last time you shaved your beard, 2009. I don't know who he should fight. I have to look it up. How would you get started in MMA journalism when you have no experience? I tend to have nuanced perspectives but don't know where to start. Open up a Medium account. If that's one way you want to write, open up a YouTube account. You can make this stuff private, and then you can just upload as practice. Like, what's the process of recording, of uploading, of making thumbnails, of you know, of tagging, of all the kind of different stuff? Um, and then... And then, I keep saying it, repetition, 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 repetition. What are the best ones doing it? I'm not telling you to steal from them, but be inspired by their growth and their changes and sort of see what, and here's the last part about it. Have a, don't be, you have, it sounds like contrasting and competing goals where you're like, oh, uh, one contradicts the other. On the one hand, you do need to be a subject matter specialist. On the other hand, a lot of people in MMA are such a subject matter specialist that they begin to lose perspective of the wider world. Like, for example, this is not some kind of acrimonious thing, but here's one area where I disagree with Joe. And I disagree. I mean, you live your life the best way. How? But the point being is, you know, he doesn't watch a lot of other sports by his own admission. And I used to be that way. I used to be that MMA fan who, well, that's not true. I grew up watching sports and I kind of got out of it. Now I got back into it in the last 15 years or so or mm, 12. But here's what I'm trying to say. Watching other sports has actually helped me understand MMA more. It gave me a broader sense about what athletic excellence looked like, about the rigors of MMA versus the rigors of other things, about what kind of athletes get drawn and which ones don't and who would have success and who wouldn't. 
it helped me understand all of these factors better. And so uh, I really, I learned more by watching things, yes, inside of MMA, but outside as well. So get the reps in, become a subject matter specialist, but, but, but try to get a broader perspective of the world as well. How big of a threat is Oliveira to Habib? I don't think very big. Can fighters donate blood to cut weight? Think that is illegal, actually. Uh, where do you think people refer to... Why do you think people refer to John Jones as the best 205-er instead of the GOAT as of late? What's his legacy if he loses at heavyweight? Well, in an era where everyone is kind of crossing weight classes and this guy has been so utterly dominant, you sort of expect someone to do that. Um, I think even if he loses... Dude... Who dominates at any weight class for 10 years? I mean, it's, it's unheard of. You, you might never see it again. You, may, you legitimately might never see it again. Um, so I think he will have some success at heavyweight. I just think he's trying to be strategic. Unless, and this is one thing I, I, don't, I don't know that this is true, but one thing I kind of am watching is to what extent um, the injuries and the age, not the ones that have limited him from getting to the cage, but like, you know, John's been fighting since he was like 20, 21. What was he, 31, 32 or something now? Like, he's going to, what, I don't know that he's hitting his decline. I'm not suggesting that. But what I am fairly confident in saying is he's going to hit his decline um, earlier than most people who started MMA later. So we have to see when that is. Uh, Cannoneer posted that he still doesn't have a replacement for his scheduled fight at UFC 248. He's called out Kelvin since Till hasn't accepted. Good or bad idea for Kelvin? Bad idea. B- big risk, big reward, big fucking risk. Thoughts on Connor versus Cowboy supposedly doing 2 million buys. Well, no, not 2 million buys, but the equivalent of 2 million buys. I believe it. I believe it. It was weird. It was like a quiet Connor McGregor fight week, and then all of a sudden it just came back to life. At the end there. It's kind of wild. Um, all right. I got to get going. So with that in mind, please give the video a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel. I'll put this up on the podcast feed uh, ASAP. And then uh, we will get out of here. Um, so, yeah. Email me. LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. Subscribe. Like the channel. Tell your friends about it. Tell your neighbors about it. Spread the word. I appreciate you all. And until next time, stay frosty. <laughs>